0: about 5 years ago, I, male and 26, set out to travel the world. Being straight out of college, it had left me in a fair bit of debt and so I was ever more desperate for any job that I was overqualified for and generally depressed too. I felt uh, isolated and alone in my small town in Washington and found the only way to get out was to travel. My high school buddy suggested that I look into woofing and volunteering as a way to travel cheap. And so I did just that. The way it works is quite simple too. Basically, you work for around 25 hours a week on some farm for food and housing. The draw is that since the community is a bunch of cheap-ass travelers, it's quite big. It's a great way to meet new people, get outside of your comfort zone, and just let yourself live and figure life out. So fast forward 8 months and I am now a seasoned cow turd shoveler. I started out in Washington, Oregon and went south to California. There I was able to save some money, I was paid under the table for some extra work and was now faced with a decision, where to go in the world. The excitement of being able to purchase a ticket to almost anywhere in the world got the best of me too, and on the advice of some stupid hippie volunteering partner, I chose it at random. I went to a randomizer website and I clicked the country button, Georgia the country of Georgia. To say I didn't know anything about it too was an understatement but the fear of the unknown made it exciting and exotic somehow and so I did it. I purchased a ticket and started browsing for a farm that could host me. There were a few options in the end and most were pretty remote and didn't even have internet connection. I messaged every single one too because few ever responded and got a response from one farm on top of a mountain. The picture showed a traditional Georgian stone house with a large garden out in the back, a family with several cheerful children, grandparents having dinner, animals, and it seemed warm and inviting. The description was written in good English too, and the requirements for work seemed pretty reasonable. I was excited. After I flew to the capital, I followed the directions that they had sent to locate the farm, which wasn't an easy task. Few in Georgia speak English, the roads are pretty messed up since few have been maintained since the fall of the Soviet Union, and the country is generally poor too. It took me around 20 hours of Soviet buses and taxis and weird serpentine roads and paths to get to that desired blue pin on my map. It was a dirt path leading up to a steep hill into a national park up to the north of the country. And there was nothing for miles on end but trees and their dead silence. As I got up that hill, I saw the house about a half a mile away on an even steeper hill surrounded by the trees. From that viewpoint, it seemed abandoned, overgrown, brown and sort of dreary. As I walked past the gate, Geary, the apparent owner, approached me. He was a heavy, small middle-aged guy with a big smile on his face. He shook my hand and, in broken English, started to show me around. He also just stank of booze. But as he was showing me around, I noticed that there wasn't anyone there but us. I asked about his wife and kids and he brushed that aside and said something to the extent of, they're away right now. By this point, I'm pretty creeped out. From browsing around it was very apparent that the farm was in deep decline, apple trees and crops were dying, the roof of the small barn was caved in, the house itself was full of trash and smelling of mold. It was obvious that Geary was going through a very rough patch, but I wasn't going to turn around and just leave in the middle of nowhere without a plan, especially having not slept for the past 36 hours. It was evening, and after feeding me well and trying as best as he could to hold a conversation in English, Geary showed me my room on the second floor, and eventually, I fell asleep. In fact, I almost immediately blacked out from the exhaustion and stress, and actually probably would have slept ten hours, if I wasn't awoken by a strange noise in the middle of the night. It sounded like something metallic and heavy was being dragged across the wooden floor, In that sort of sleepy in-between state, I listened to it for a few minutes, thought nothing of it, and eventually I just went back to sleep once it stopped. In the morning, Geary, now sober and grumpy, asked me to repair some of the windows and the doors in the house as he himself planned to go and fetch some components in a nearby village or something. But again, I just got this weird feeling creeping down my spine. Something just wasn't right. He didn't maintain eye contact and was really evasive. There was no cell reception here, no internet. And once he left, I checked around the house to get a general idea of the place, and it became apparent that the place was hardly ever lived in. Like one of those abandoned houses, there was broken furniture, newspapers and old photos on the floor, a shattered mirror. I took my phone and looked through the saved listings again. And that was when I noticed that the photos didn't really match either the backyard, the garden, or the walls. Geary wasn't in any of them, in fact. Which meant that I was in a completely different house. By this point, I'm in full-blown panic. I pack my stuff up and start to leave when I see a group of three men going up that first hill. There aren't any paths that I can take, so I go behind the house and rush down this hill into the forest. After some time, I stop and listen. I hear them in the house. They're clearly looking for me, and afraid of making any noise, I just remain still, hidden behind a bush. I don't know how long I must have waited there for, but man, were they persistent. At some point, I hear them leave so I count until some large number and proceed back into the house and path and once I find it's all clear I just book it the heck out of there. Never ran this fast in fact but I'm still in the middle of nowhere. No traffic, no public transport, nothing. Eventually I reach a paved road and I start walking in the general direction from where I remember coming. Hours go by. But finally, a car drives by and stops. Now, in a horror movie, this would have been Geary and his friends, right? But this was actually a really nice Russian family that gave me a ride to town. But when I finally got internet access again, the listing disappeared from the website in the few days before I left and I haven't heard from Geary ever since. I'm yet to make sense of that experience. I I've travelled since and volunteered too. Some people, once they hear this story, laugh and say that the guy was coming over with a couple of friends from the village to have a chat over a few beers or something. But some, they say that he was bound to kidnap me and even kill me. But I trust my gut feeling. Something just was really not right about that place and I'm glad that I ran when I did.
1: or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
0: For the record, I'm actually a female. I'm turning 19 this year, and this story happened when I was 15. Also, I'm actually from France. So when I was 15 years old and just got into junior year, I created my first Twitter account that I deleted because of this story. Some information before I get started. I didn't tell anyone my username, either my family or my friends. My profile picture was an avatar, so no pictures of me on the account. And as for the location, I said Paris because I lived in the suburbs. I didn't have many followers too, 20 or maybe 30 if I was lucky, and I didn't follow that many people. And as such, my TL just wasn't really interesting. One evening, in October, someone sent me quite a strange direct message. It was a 200 followers account and the message was something like, Hi my neighbours Rob, I just turned 17 and wanted to know if you lived in such and such a place because I will soon move in and go to the town in the high school and I'm looking for friends. And that place was obviously the town that I lived in. I immediately thought that something was wrong because there was nowhere on my profile that I said where I actually lived but... After some time of thinking I remembered a a tweet that I made weeks ago about buses and I mentioned the city so I told myself that he must have looked up for that street or whatever that I was in and found my tweet. His age wasn't that shocking to me because I'm two years ahead of my classmates anyway and quite frankly I was just bored and he seemed polite so I answered him. I told him that I lived in the city and I go to the high school there The discussion was pretty natural and we talked a lot that night, mainly about high school, about the food at the cafeteria, about the teachers, that kind of thing. But as it was getting very late, he tried to interpose some personal questions, like, do you live far away from the school, in a house or in an apartment? Do you live with both of your parents? There's five of you? You're not often home alone, right? I never really answered because it was way too shady for me, and unfortunately, he didn't insist. And I say unfortunately because if he did, I probably would have blocked him and that would have been the end of it. But the next day, the same thing. We talked a lot, and he was still asking really personal questions to know me better, so I asked some too. And he always seemed like he answered honestly. I still didn't answer the questions about my house though because he didn't need to know anything about that. This lasted for about two or three weeks, but it was enough for me to develop feelings for him. He was handsome, super kind, and it was everything that I needed at that point because I was bullied for years. And even today, I still develop strong feelings, but most importantly, blind trust in people who are friendly to me has gone out the window for the most part. Now, in France in October, we have a two week long vacation, and the day before back to school day, he finally told me that he was coming to my high school, because he finally moved in with his mum, and he asked me a place to meet during the morning break. I'll admit too that I was really happy and sort of relieved to be able to finally meet him, and told him to join me in the hall, but when he understood that there would be people around, he said that he would prefer uh, an isolated place, because... He was afraid that he would not recognize me and didn't want to spend the break looking for me. It was a good enough excuse for me. I know, kind of stupid, but I told him to meet me in the third floor bathroom because we weren't allowed to stay there during the breaks and no one would disturb us. In my head, even though it was a a little bit creepy, I'll admit, I still was in school, so nothing could happen to me, right? Next day, back to school day... I made myself pretty, I wore my best clothes, I counted down the minutes, and finally, when break time arrived, I ran to the bathroom and waited. And when he arrived, it was him. He wasn't a catfish. He looked quite like his profile picture, but I still noticed that he seemed a, a little bit older than he told me. I thought maybe 20 years old instead of 17? 17? We talked a lot though, we got along really well, I was really pleased, and at the end of the break, he asked me to go to the fast food place with him for lunch. I said no in the end because I didn't have any money, and I always refuse people to pay for me and whatnot. It's a principal thing. He seemed disappointed, but offered to walk me home after class. I explained to him that I have to take the bus, but that he could walk me to the bus stop if he liked to. He looked disappointed at this, again, but finally he seemed to accept it. And that's exactly what happened. And it was so great that it quickly became some kind of a a routine. We met in the third floor bathroom during the morning break, and he always walked me to the bus stop after classes. Surprising fact, too, is that I never saw him in the hallways nor at the cafeteria, but... I thought that at that time the building was huge and there were like at least 1,500 students in there, so if our schedules didn't coincide perfectly, there was pretty much no way that we would meet each other. This little game lasted until December, so almost a month and a half. The 14th of December... A Thursday, I complained about how lonely I was going to be that evening because my dad was abroad for work, my brother was always at his friend's house, my little sister was on a school trip, and my mum had work late that very night. It was very reckless of me, I know, but after weeks, I honestly thought that I could trust him. That evening, he walked me to the bus stop like normal. We both waited, and I got on the bus, waved at him, and put on my earphones. I had two stops before my house, it was about 17.45 in December, so it was already really dark outside, and as I got off the bus, I just for some reason had a a really bad feeling. There was that really uncomfortable sensation in my stomach, and I felt like I was being watched. I paused my music, but kept my earphones in so that people thought that I couldn't hear anything, and honestly, that is exactly what probably saved my life that day. I lived in a suburban neighborhood like I said, very silent, especially at night, with no visibility on the big road the bus passed in. When I heard footsteps behind me, I understood right away that there was somebody following me and he was not well-intentioned. At this point at least I could hear that he wasn't accelerating so he wasn't trying to catch up with me. but. I couldn't guess how long it would have lasted. As quietly as possible, I tried to reach for my keys in my pocket, and when I finally pulled them out, I ran as fast as I could, the best sprint of my life in fact. I don't know how it worked, but I managed to open and close the door before he could reach me. I then deactivated my alarm, which by the way, confirmed that I was home alone, and quickly took a good look through the glass panel on the door. It wasn't a peephole, it was like a whole window thing, so if someone wanted to see what was happening inside, they actually could. And you guessed it, it was him, a few meters away, looking at me with a, a really creepy look on his face. He followed me to my home, probably with a car, and he was clearly not here for a chit-chat. I still don't know why I didn't call the police. I, was just totally paralyzed and honestly I wasn't quite sure what to think at that point but we both stared at each other for a minute when I took back control over my body I ran into the kitchen to get a knife and got back to the door and he was still there too banging against the door now I feared for a second that the glass would break but thankfully it didn't happen and that moment when I was pushing against the door praying for it not to break while he was kicking it harder and harder was the longest moments that I've ever experienced. After maybe five minutes, he just eventually stopped and got around the house, knocking against every shutter and got back to the door. He looked really angry, but then my neighbor's car reached my house and he ran away, probably thinking that it was my mum coming home. On Twitter, he sent me a thousand messages before I could block him. He then deleted his account and I thought that I was done with the story. But quickly after this, some accounts which had recently been created followed me. Their ats were all a series of numbers and the first letter of his name. And as soon as I blocked one, another one would follow me. I chose to delete my account at that point because I just couldn't make it stop and... It was just too hard to endure because they were sending me dozens of insulting DMs every single day. Luckily, I talked to other people who were supposed to be this person's classmates because I hadn't seen him again in days. But not a single one had ever heard of this guy. And I'm pretty sure that this person was never even a student of this high school. That explains why I never met him apart from our daily meetings, and that's also probably why he just seemed so old. I never did hear from him again, which I'm thankful for, and I'm still asking myself though, what exactly did he want? And what would have happened to me that night if I hadn't have had that funny feeling? A few Years ago, I went camping for the first time in my life. I was about 11 or 12 when we headed out to a forest nearby our house, and we were in Poland for the holidays, as we do every year, and right next to our house was a huge forest. So one day, we decided to take out mom's old tent that she still had from like the 90s, and just stay for the night, or two in between some wildlife good thing too is that the place that we chose to sleep at was only about 20 or maybe 30 minutes away from the house the bad thing though was that there are a lot and i mean a lot of wolves foxes and boars out in this forest and honestly i kind of regretted going there in the first place but we set everything up at around 6 p.m and my sister and i set up the campfire my dad chopped down a smaller tree earlier with his oak axe that's an important part of the story for later too And by now, it had dried out enough to catch fire. We sat around it for quite some time, probably around four hours or so, until it was so dark that we decided to just head in to sleep. My two sisters and I were on one end of the tent and my parents on the other. Now, it was probably just the fear of getting eaten alive by some wolves or homesickness maybe, I don't know. But for some reason, I really just couldn't sleep that night at all. I heard my dad tell my mum that he was going out into the forest to get some wood for the morning while it was still fairly dry or it would be all soaked up with the dew by then. The thought of not having my dad around made it even worse for me to even close my eyes for a second. I'm really not too good at telling what time it was too by just staring at the sky or trying to figure out how long I'd been there so I would say maybe around 12 or 1 in the morning but who really knows. I was actually just about to fall asleep, too, when I heard some rattling outside of the tent. My first thought was, oh no, it's a wolf. I was honestly terrified, and so I just sort of popped my head through the little curtain that separated the two halves of the tent. Basically, just a piece of thin fabric hanging on some threads to see if my dad was back. But he was still gone, and it had been over an hour since he went. I was confident of that. I lay back down and just tried to fall asleep but when I turned myself on my side I saw this faint human shadow outside of the tent. I froze and let out a tiny squeak. The person seemed to be holding some sort of uh, an axe or maybe shovel type thing or something in its hand and so I thought at first maybe that's my dad and he's back now. Shadow walked towards the entrance of the tent and just stood there at the zipped up door for maybe 30 seconds. I began to wonder why he wasn't just coming inside but the person finally ran off into the forest and dropped an axe. You could hear the footsteps fade in the distance and a thump just appear along the way and quite honestly at first I thought what the heck is my dad doing? And maybe a minute or so later I hit my dad walking back from the opposite side of the forest and entered the tent all tired and he just fell asleep. Seemed kind of sketchy and fishy and scary to me, but it was so late that I couldn't even think anymore and somehow I fell asleep eventually. The next morning, I woke up after my dad dropped his phone on his face, letting out an ouch. I peeped through the curtain at him and he just smiled back while rubbing his nose. I needed some fresh air though, because I was feeling a bit sick. Maybe from the nerves in the morning or homesickness, I couldn't really tell. But both of us get out of the tent and walked around for a while. We circled around the campsite for around 10 minutes until we came back to our tent. And That's when I noticed something that made chills run down the back of my neck. A few meters from the tent, in the corner of my eye, I managed to catch a glimpse of something red. It took me a hot second to realize that i actually saw something and when i turned my head to see what it was it was a red and black rubber axe and i can tell you right now that it definitely was not there before i knew that it wasn't my dad's because his was by the pile of wood that he collected at night from my dad's reaction i probably turned pale because well even he started to freak out a little bit like i was about to pass out or something he turned his gaze to where I was looking, and we both just stared for a few seconds before he called out for the rest of the family to wake up and get moving. We were all packed up within an hour, and then we just rushed back on. Later, I told my dad what I saw that night, and he didn't believe me at first. But I carried on with the story, and he finally realized that I was telling the truth. To this day I still have no clue who the heck that was but man am I happy that he didn't investigate our tent any further or any other animal had in that forest. Back in 1989 I was with my boyfriend Eddie, his best friend, my older sister Angie and about six other people we had spent the entire day just sort of mudding in the royal palm mud flats in royal palm beach florida aka part of the palm beach county i grew up in west palm beach i had never seen anything like this before or since then too so after mudding all day we decided to call it a night and leave almost everyone was gone by then so we all piled into eddie's truck and we left eddie saw a small mud hole and drove through it as one last hurrah for the night And we got stuck. That small hole was pretty deceptive in the end. And when I say that we got stuck, I mean that we were stuck for literally hours. I was actually pregnant with my first two, so I was steering as the other nine were pushing. And that truck, it just would not budge. We had no choice in the end but to wait until morning for someone to come and pull us out as we were now on our own. And at about 5am we decided that we should just relax and try to sleep until someone came through. Eddie, I and his bestie were in the front. My sister and the other six, who were still friends with us to this day, piled in the back and started to settle down. We were still making noise too when I heard a, a strange sound. It was a sort of rumbling growl and I knew immediately that it was some type of an animal. I told everyone to hush and to listen and then we all heard it and it was getting louder and more aggressive sounding. Eddie has a KC light behind his seat and he popped it out, grabbed it, plugged it in and lit the night up. And it was at that moment when our world changed forever. All ten of us in fact had our world rocked in a way that we had never expected. This thing ducked down and moved. Everyone was starting to freak out because it was clearly there but what the heck was it? Then it seemed to get angry and this thing stood straight up let out a roar that I can still hear 31 years later left the large bush that it was standing behind and charged us. You could feel the earth literally shake with every running step that it took. It was easily eight to nine feet tall. It was broad and really heavy set. It looked like an extremely large man with hair, not fur. It actually had hair, and lots of it. The KC lit it up, and you could see the clumping of the hair in spots. The smell was absolutely rotten and sour. And being pregnant, I was extremely sensitive to smells at the time, and man, it was bad. We had spent hours, we're talking like five plus hours, trying to push this truck out. They say adrenaline gives you super strength, and man, they were right. Because Eddie turned on his truck and started pushing on his doorframe. His bestie leapt out to his side and did the same. My sister and the other six let out screams as they piled out, and then... All you heard was this thing running and roaring everywhere. Everyone else was dead silent as they're trying to put everything that they had into pushing this truck out. And with a sucking pop that I can still hear, we were out and they were throwing themselves into the back as Eddie and his bestie jumped in and he floored it. Now, these are woods with tight turns and we flew around those turns like they didn't even exist. It felt like the devil himself was chasing us, but... After we got out and onto the main road, we headed for a gas station to calm down and call our families. When we got there, we all got out, sat with our backs to the wall, and that was pretty much it. We never said a word to each other, just silence. I think we were too raw and scared and just in complete shock over what had happened. I mean, this was all myth. This wasn't real. They don't exist. Yet, there it was. After we all called our parents, we went home. One by one, being dropped off and not a word spoken. In fact, my sister and I didn't discuss this until about five years ago. We finally opened up that night and have slowly talked to the others too. But 25 years after the fact and every single one of us that have spoken about it have the exact same story and memory forever burned into our minds. It wasn't cool, it was very scary and I think the reason that we couldn't talk about it for so long was because our brains were just in denial at first and then we just didn't really know how to open up about it. Now I look back and I say, yep, we saw Bigfoot. Several years ago, I worked at a a voluntary crisis unit for the acutely mentally ill. It was a 10-bed unit where individuals would come to stay as a sort of step-down from a psychiatric hospitalization or a diversion to prevent psychiatric hospitalization in the first place. I often worked alone on the weekends. One Friday evening, we received an admission Michael. Background info was provided with the referral indicating a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder and recently released from prison after serving a sentence for murder. I completed the initial intake meeting with Michael, during which time he said some really sexually explicit things to me. I made it clear that this was inappropriate and that confidentiality was limited in that the staff working on the unit, as a part of his treatment team, would be privy to anything said in the interview or subsequent one-on-one sessions. He responded well to the redirection and we finished the intake and I went about the rest of my shift until about 11pm that night when he approached the office and asked if I was working alone. Luckily at the time I wasn't alone and I told him that my male co-worker was in the adjoining office. After this encounter, I explained the situation to my co-worker who read my shift summary and decided to sit down with Michael and tell him the way that he was acting was not acceptable and he could risk being released from the program if it continued. The next morning I was working alone from 8am to 4pm. Around 9am I went to wake up another client, Jeremy, to administer his medications. The room Jeremy was assigned to was at the end of the hallway and he was usually slow to get up in the mornings. While I was knocking on Jeremy's door, Michael approached me to tell me that he didn't appreciate that I had shared the things that he said to me with my male co-worker. I explained to Michael that he knew what he said was inappropriate and that he knew anything that he said to me would be shared with the rest of the treatment team. Michael then became way more agitated and got in my face all of a sudden, backing me into the corner in front of Jeremy's bedroom door. At this point, Jeremy had woken up and heard what was happening outside of his room. Jeremy came out of his room, stood between Michael and myself and told Michael that he needed to walk away and cool down. Michael went back to his room and I contacted my supervisor who told me to document the encounter and to continue my shift. Needless to say, I left that job shortly after this incident though. I am thankful for Jeremy and that he had the presence of mind, while also being a client with a mental illness, to intervene on my behalf. I often wonder what would have happened if Jeremy wouldn't have woken up that day, or if he would have been in a more severe state of mental illness and would have become agitated as well. I try not to think too much about what happened that day, though, because, well, like I said, Michael, he was a convicted murderer. When I was young, I'm talking like three or four years old, I moved to a newly built house in Baytown, Texas, and there wasn't anything creepy or weird about it until about a few months later. I vividly remember this too because I had a chalkboard in my room and it was centered right in the middle of my room. One night I was laying in bed and I kept glancing over at the eraser on the chalkboard and it was sitting straight up so I walked over and set it down and got back into bed. Well, when I looked back again it was standing straight up so I went to place it back down and it happened again. I cried for my mum at this point, I can't remember if I told her or not what happened. But the next thing that I remember is waking up downstairs. I don't sleepwalk, I've never slept walk in my life, but I woke up downstairs and of course I was really confused. I ran back upstairs and I keep hearing someone running behind me up the stairs. I wasn't dreaming, I was definitely awake. But some years later in my teenage years, I told my mum about this and she told me that I was talking to someone. Apparently, I was holding someone's hand and talking to someone downstairs. I don't remember that, but the next thing is something that I will probably never be able to explain. I did tell my mum about this one, and she didn't believe me, even though she does believe in spirits. But It was raining outside, a really bad thunderstorm that day, and I was afraid of thunder. I love it now as an adult, but as a kid, it was scary to me. I ducked my head under the covers, and... I remember getting slapped and the slap really hurt it even made a sound but I think that I was so scared that I must have passed out I can never explain that but there was no one in my room I would have heard the door open and my parents wouldn't slap me over me being scared the other things are minor but in this house I would have the most vividest dreams there was one dream in particular that I remember and I woke up in the house and went to my dad's office to find like three or maybe two, can't remember, gravestones in his office. They didn't have names, but shortly after I woke up. The other dream that I had was that I was in my room, but I was talking to this massive black shadow with a deep voice, and it yelled at me, and I woke up in a sweat. The last thing I can remember from that time there, too, is that I used to have this pencil-looking sort of bag holder, again, I was young, and I swore that this thing used to move. I was always so scared of it, too, that we put it outside, and I remember hearing scraping on the carpet outside of my room, and I would go outside and check, and I could see marks on the carpet like it was moving. Oh, and uh, I also remember that my closet door used to open by itself, too. It was a slide closet door that opened by itself a few times, and yeah, that one used to freak me out too. When I was young, maybe five, I told my grandma about some of the stuff that happened, and she took me to see a priest and get blessed and whatnot. I'm unsure if they actually worked, because on and off I've been experiencing weird things, even when we moved out of that house into a different house, but a lot of it did stop, I I must admit. Anyway... It honestly feels good telling someone about this because, well, no one's really ever believed me. Maybe one day I can tell my parents about more of this, or my mother at least. My dad would just never believe me, but I don't know. For now, it feels good to get it off my chest. G'day mates, it's B Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check.